Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Steph, the Senior Director of Product Strategy and Data Security at Help Systems. And they discuss how Help Systems allows you to securely automate many of your IT processes, how investing in your company culture pays dividends many times over, and why it's beneficial to keep organizational hierarchies as flat as possible. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Funny story, went through university, went to Waterloo uh, for computer science. And a lot of you know, good minds have gone through that. And then you know, Microsoft has scooped up a lot of them. A lot of my peers were actually part of the team that wrote NT back in the day, Windows NT. But I remember, you know, sitting on a crypto course way back then and, and just happy to get through because I'll never see this again. This is never, ever going to do anything to do with crypto. I just got through the exam. And the first job I got out of university, went to distant consulting work with Microsoft and some other folks. And then I got into teaching PKI, of all things, public key infrastructure, crypto to the world. So went out there, traveled the world, teaching how keys work and how do you encrypt things and got to some very complicated stuff very quickly. It's just funny as you kind of go through and things you trip on, you just never dismiss it because you never know where it's going to end up and, and um, what value you can bring with that because it's all part of the toolkit you bring with yourself as you get to your next gig or your next opportunity, kind of working through that process. So it's been a, it's been a fun journey for sure so far. Is that where you're at today? Is it like automation, cybersecurity, keys? Do they help? I, I, it's kind of switched over. I started off with the crypto piece. Uh, from an education perspective, teaching people that, but then I get into consulting and, and got into similar to maybe a little bit of your beginnings, got into uh, consulting work with uh, the government around Y2K, right? So they had to migrate a bunch of stuff from a Unix environment to a Microsoft-based email system. And so we got into the process of you know, writing some code to help migrate some technology, kind of work through that process. And then from that, learned a lot about security. I was always intrigued by security at the very beginning, you know, how do phone systems work and, you know, from an ethical hacker, like what are possible things to do and just kind of play with that because it was fun. It's a game, it's a real life game, do no harm, but uh, just to kind of learn through that process. But, but as I got really good at security and understanding and bring it to the customers and help them locking down their environments to understand what are the vulnerabilities kind of work through that process. And then I got into the PKI teachings, you know, how do I encrypt things? How do I protect things? And then I quickly went from a, what wasn't interesting for me is more of the infrastructure piece, right? Routers and Cisco and those type of devices, but really around the data and, and people write files and they emails and they, tr and they get you know, transmitted around. I always thought there was a lot of lack in that space. They had some crypto at the end. They had users who had to figure out when to apply that secret button to say, okay, go protect it now. They didn't understand when to apply that. So there's a lot of gaps in that technology. So I'd focused a lot on, we started a little consulting gig on creating a software that would just tell you what that sensitivity of the email was, and then have it slowly over time start building these security measures. So automatically apply encryption if you wanted to, or if you're sending stuff outside of the, and that, at that point would have been for government department. If you're sending it out to the public, maybe you should warn them, hey, you're sending something on the outside. Are you sure you want to do that? And really try to bridge that gap between the user experience and getting into security. And then as I transitioned through that, what was interesting is that a lot of specialty software out there that just kind of solve the 
pieces of the puzzle for data security. I got really good crypto. I got DLP technology. I've got all these other things that help protect. But what was missing in all the uh, all the frameworks started off with talking around like you need to know what the data is. Once you know what the data is, then you can start building the logic around that. So I spent a lot of time working on understanding how all these other technologies work, what were the gaps, and how can I tie the data identity to all these different pieces of software? So how does DLP recognize, hey, this is something I need to to, to block, warn, work with the user, and to do it in a way that's actually easy for the user to understand and kind of work through the process. And, and you know, we were very manual at the very beginning, Joel, so we started working through on forcing the user doing all this stuff. But now with advancement in technology, gotten to the point where I can try to automate as much as possible, right? So um, if, if, I can, if I'm pretty sure the stuff you're sending looks like it's sensitive and it's going outside, or today's you know, people worrying around privacy information, is there personal data in there? Is there address? Beyond the simple credit cards, I figured people had figured out the credit card piece, the things around my personal identity, my ad address, and other things that regulatory bodies are worried about today. How do I automatically trigger those things to help that user along? And you know, one of the an analogies I do typically around that is, is explain spell checking. Now, you'll probably remember back in the early days, you'd create a document, and you'd have to go through a whole process to spell check. And you start the process, you spend a couple of hours fixing the grammar, kind of working through that, where today, nobody thinks about that. That just happens in the background, it kind of goes through. And so we're bringing that kind of experience back to the data identity to make that as easy as possible, so that now we can get back to protecting data. So that's where I spend a lot of my time is try to automate as much as possible and, and move us towards you know, other data security solutions as well. So help me understand the difference between Titus and Help Systems. You bet. Um, Titus is, we started back in uh, 95, we created a software company. Before that, it was a consulting company around uh, security products and you know working with the government, military and banks whether it be crypto, um, just securing their environment or training them on security, we had a consulting firm there. And then Titus, we started up a data classification software, again, talking to the government customer who's wanted to label things very simply so that the downstream technology could block it, warn it. Um, so we went through that process to build that. So in, in 2005, we created uh, the software business at that point. And then we kept working on the data identity. So that's Titus, and then went through and then help system last year. So it's been a year now uh, in June of uh, 2020. Um, they acquired data classification and Bolton James, two data classification solutions around the first stage of data security. So I want to able to label, classify, and protect uh, information. And then help systems itself is uh, had started off around 35 years ago, focusing on IBM automated type security. But the last number of years, they focused on providing security products. And they, they saw the value of being able to identify the data to be able to then play in the DLP space or in file transfer technology, or even automatic on the automating technology, having a bigger player in cybersecurity to be able to provide data security suites to, to, to uh, customers is something that's going, that was important to them. Um, and the thing that really attracted to us as we are looking for a home for our data classification bit was to understand like what kind of company are they? Um, how do they engage with customers? Because it's very important for us that one, our employees are very happy with the process and they're a very people-oriented type of organization, much more than some of the other strategics we might've looked at where it might've been a code grab for the technology. 
So there is very important for them for the people, but also what were they trying to solve? And they're trying to solve data security is very important for them. They're bringing a lot of good technologies together to solve that challenge without looking at just building feature sets, right? If you're looking at building a feature with an application, just keep growing it. You have to keep evolving these new wings of what you're building. Whereas, you know, Help Systems has acquired a bunch of little companies. Now we're working at making these things play well together. Um, and, you know, Titus was the starting of that journey of identifying tagging information so that the rest of the, the, the environment understood what to do with it, whether it's file transfer, uh, they just acquired DRM technology as well to kind of play that uh, a bigger player within the data security space. You were one of the founders of Titus, correct? I was, yeah. I guess I've missed that piece. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the uh, co-founders back in Titus. So we'd started off this process to build out software. What was different? What was interesting for me through the process is I because I did the security consulting before, and I thought the hard stuff is what we had to do and figure out, and how does all this technology loop together? I had not, I had missed the opportunity at the beginning to realize that sometimes simple is better, right? To get through and kind of bring through the process. And, you know, I had these visions of very complicated technology coming together to solve these challenges. Whereas the customer's like, no, we just want something, a little label, a little drop down, something to start, get me started on my journey. And we will iterate and kind of build on that. And that's you know, something I learned through starting that or, uh, organization with the other co-founders as well. And kind of bringing it through the process. So who did you start that with? Uh, other founders would be uh, Tim Upton from Ottawa and Charlie Pulfer. They've both uh, since retired and, and enjoying what they've done and kind of worked at it. They're a little bit older than I am and, and they're in a good place. Uh, I, I'm still part of the journey. I think, I think the things we're trying to solve today still need to be done. Um, so I'm, I'm not done. What were their expertise? Yeah, so Tim would have been kind of visionary energy you would have felt from the guy who walked into a room and just knew that there was something to solve. And you were just happy to be there and kind of, you know, challenge the, the, the norm to get kind of go through that process. You know, you know, I, I call crap on that, you know, that, that activity. I think we could do it a better way. We need something simple and converting our basic principles around what we're trying to do so that related to the business buyer. So as an example, he would have done something like, hey, we're doing data classification. That's not very sexy. If you just talk about a technology, that sounds kind of lame. You're just labeling stuff and then you hope the technology downstream works. He's no, no, no. It's, it's just, we're in, we're like the driver in a car. So we're in the car with a Volvo. You like driving a Volvo. Why? It's safe, it's protected. But then you know the car is going to beep at you and automation is coming in, warning you around the policy. You're about to crash. We're going to put the brakes on for you. So try to find a way to bring what we did from a very simple perspective to what people can relate to from a day-to-day -day perspective. And so that was kind of what he brought to the table. Uh, he had a business degree kind of driving through that and try to get that energy. Charlie Pulfer, on the other side, he, he spent some time at Microsoft and his focus around marketing. So he was looking at, you know, I think we have a product here. Here's how we package it. Here's how we get together from making it palatable for customers. How do we move from a government-focused business to something that we can now scale at? Let's get to commercial. Let's get to finance. Let's get to these other things. With these tweaks, we can change the product to, to address there. So he was more on marketing side. So then we got Tim on the business side, kind of really driving the ideation. And I was just there to help make sure the technology made sense and the things we spend our time on were going to help solve 
these two ideas coming from these folks. I like that. And we also had great programmers too, right? So it's not just a three-person team, but we started off with a small team, but grew to about uh, just under 200 people by the time uh, we uh, got acquired last year. I think you nailed it though, the way you described that. It's not just about the three people, but kind of is because those are like the three foundational people to which everything else sort of stems from because this behavior within an organization is contagious, right? So you being the foundation, and that's why I was really interested to understand like what their strengths were and the three of you fitting together. It's, I mean, you have a visionary, you have somebody that can market it and do the communication of it. And then you have someone who can execute, which is you, you can execute and bring the vision to life, but you can't, they're, they're all required. Like you have to have the vision, you have to have the marketing to get the customers to drive the dollars. And then you have to have the product to actually deliver it to the customers. Absolutely. I think, and, and it's, it's been a great journey. Um, I had a lot of great fun and we had a lot of, cool experiences with, with the, the company going through and um, bringing those, those ideas to life. It's just, it's humbling, right? So you kind of go through, you start the process as an idea and, you know, do you take the chance? If you could have, I could have been an employee somewhere else, you know, Tim, that's, that's a lot of great thinking, but you know, why should I take a chance? I got a family who's just about to start. What, what's different about us that another company can't already do? And just stepping out of your comfort zone to be able to kind of push yourselves and then push and then have employees that get infectious by that, kind of see that and kind of believe in that idea. And then being smart about how you grow that, not super fast. One thing we never did is we never took outside investment um, with the exception that the, near the end, within the last four or five years, we started looking to how do we scale this, you know, scale this organization to be something a lot bigger than what it started out to be. So. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, we, you took it when it was right. Right. You know, you, the business changes and grows and evolves and it needs different things as an infant versus a, a toddler versus a teenager. Right. Yeah. And, and, and as you're building it, the one thing I've also learned is, you know, you look at what the technology is out there and you all, and it comes back to what I talked about, simplifying our expectations, what the technology should do. And not always go for the most complicated thing and try to figure out because the simple things might actually win the day. And you know, as I look at certain pivot points or along our journey, I look at at what point could we have like crashed? You could have gone and start business and then make a wrong move at the beginning, and then you might as well start with a new idea and try something different, kind of move on. So, what are your pivot points to go through that? And the thing that there's there's two pieces to that. One is understanding that the customers are really are emotional about what you're trying to solve. Do they have to solve that today? And then can I do it a very simple way? And then try to think of where they need to be in the next few years. It's going to take you some time to get there. And if you can see a path between what I can solve today and then understand where that can evolve to, but always talk to your customer in between these stages, because you might need to pivot and end up somewhere slightly different than you thought. And, and it's, unless you've got some really trusted close customers to kind of work with you through that process. It's really, it's a guessing game and it's, it can be a little unnerving as you start out a business to make sure you know, like lots of little mini pivots that you make along the way, but having, talking to customers, keep that, that, do whatever you need to do to get that customer happy, kind of work with them, solve the problems that they need to be solving today. Um, and typically they're very, you know, understanding that, you know, may not be perfect at first, but you can still evolve that, that solution to something they need tomorrow kind of work through that. And, and they get involved and they get emotional part of the process as well. Kind of those early adopters, customers through the process. And then, you know, now we're at the point where we're doing a lot more 
enterprise type customers and they got slightly different things. So you may you have to have your A game on by the time you start hitting like large American banks. And then, you know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of seats and people working with different demands and to scale out to that is slightly different than they, as you start off a, a brand new organization, when you're looking at customers, maybe two, 300 uh, seats to start off with to get things right. But um, those foundations really helped us kind of evolve to something that we could, we could, we could solve. Was this your first business that you founded? It was, it is. And I guess you can call me a lifer through this process, right? So we, to switch over from consulting into getting well-founded in technologies, like I had a really good breadth into different technologies around the security space. And I picked the one thing that was hard around data. No one likes, there's two things people don't like. People have a hard time working with data and how do I make sure it stays relevant or if I encrypt it, how do, how do I make sure all my downstream technologies work with it, right? So if I encrypt it, does it become garbage now until, unless you've talking to the right vendor to unlock that and it becomes harder to work with. And the other area is working with the users. No one likes, very few people like to write endpoint software because you've got the Mac, you've got all these different platforms you need to write for. And that seems to be evolving over time. So now you can do Java stuff, you can do kind of more web-based technology to, to cover off. But Trying to simplify that and cover where the customers need to be is something we spent uh, spent a lot of time trying to solve. So those two areas have been very kind of focal uh, from my perspective. But yeah, it's just the one that we founded, spent all our time and energy on, and kind of got us to where we are. Uh, we ended up. Can you walk me through? Like I have no understanding of your business. Like walk me through an actual use case of how someone would use the technology, like a real legitimate example. All right, Joel. So you know you um, going to send me a message, or you can send. There's someone else within Modern CTO. One of your you talked about your producers, your team. You have a different staff hanging around. So I'm going to start. You're going to start sending some information, and uh, you're going to put some credit card information. Hey, I got this great gig coming up, and send some information. And you fill out an email. And email is very helpful, right? Because it'll go through and it says, "Oh, you sent this stuff before. Let me auto fill that for you." And it's going to go off to some other staff that's either someone on the outside or myself to a different organization. And so we can actually walk through it and it sees a credit card or it sees an attachment you put on. Maybe it's a resume. Maybe it's something else that should be protected. And so our client software will sit there and just say, hey, you're sending it to the wrong person. Are you sure you meant to do that? And, it, and you know, there's so much, you know, caveat but to kind of situations where the return on investment on having that one executive blocks that one email going to the wrong person on the outside where that could be very costly for an organization. So that's the simplest, simplest use case. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. We call that uh, protect, you know, uh, protect from stupid sometimes, right? So people make mistakes, not because they're stupid. We don't give them a hard time, but more around the idea that people are busy, people are pushed really hard. And we just want to be that kind of security buddy on your shoulder as you're working, helping you watching what you're doing and helping you if you're doing something that's obviously not the right thing, kind of work through that, uh, that daily task that you're working on. Yeah. Because in the email protocol, there's, there's no confirmation concept, right? Like, and yeah, in, in the actual email underlying protocols. So you can be a layer on top of that. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. You're part of the process, right? So you think about, I came back to the driving Volvo scenario where you've got alerts happening as you're driving, you're about to hit someone right? And it just automatically stops. So um, now if we look at DLP, some of that stuff is there 
as well, but that's typically after it's left you, right? So it's gone to the network burner, you're sending email through, and you're hoping something down the road is going to pick this up. And then if it's bad, and if it's able to figure it out without the help of the user, it'll send it back to you, right? But if it didn't, it'll go off and then off it goes, and we can't call it back. But if I can save that step of sending it to something else and just do it as I hit send right now, solve the problem before it actually becomes a problem, then that's helpful, right, in real time. And that's kind of, we focus on the real time. Now, we also do other stuff from after the fact, your data at rest, your repository. You got stuff that's being stored in your servers, whether it be cloud or on-prem, that has consequences to organizations. We can help there as well. But I think the most powerful one is the stuff that's happening live to the CEO. Because uh, they, again, comes back to the emotion factor to that person who says, you just saved a breach right now. Like it was happening real time. Now, do you guys get into, I had this, this friend that I met um, and he had like, it was like a Mac type tray application where you could take screenshots and send them over. And he ended up, I think one of the lines of business that his company grew into uh, was like preventing data from leaving the organization, I think, yeah. but like through screenshots. So like if I took a screenshot of something and it had like my customer social security number in it, it would, or it could scan through yeah. like your Amazon storage and it could help you basically not leak personal identification information. Do you guys get yeah. into that type of world? We definitely get into that world. We get into, you know, if it's just in the email body, you can go scan that and take a look at that. And we actually use machine learning to kind of look at stuff that's beyond just a number, right? So is it a credit card with other things that help support the strength of that? So you're reducing the false positives through that. The screen capture one is, is again, it comes back to our security, my security background, right? So can we go through and block screen sharing? Well, you might have some digital rights management software that helps prevent that at the OS layer to be able to protect that. So from our policy pieces, if we see that information and then we can tell the OS that stop blocking that piece. And now with our, within help systems, they've acquired DRM solutions. So we can automatically encrypt that thing using that technology um, from help systems, Vera, is the tech, uh, product they acquired to that. So they can go through and, and protect data itself, whether it's an attachment or whether it's uh, email, but from a you know scanning environment for stuff that's at risk, right? So if I'm a if I'm a bank environment or if I'm just a regular business and I have a bunch of PCI credit card information or personal information sitting in my network storage, I need to know about that because uh, the auditor can come check for that and it could be fines uh, kind of grow through that. So we, we'll help scan to look for that information. Now the deal, like the data loss prevention, keeping that go out there. So we help, we have technology that can play in that space as well, but you can also educate those other technologies that what is the value of the asset that's coming through, the data coming through there. So if I can look for a label on it says, this has PCI information, this has sensitive information, this is internal use only, this is intended for project ABC, and it's going to someone who's not part of Project ABC. So either we're at the data processing stage, or if you have something downstream that's going to move that later, it can know that just by understanding the assets, the tags that are on there, the uh, identity of the data, that it doesn't have to guess at the value of that asset. So that's where we focus in on. And health system is going to help round off the rest of that piece of the puzzle. Um, uh, but not only from help systems, whether or not you know your friends got some technology there, if they can look at our tags, 
then they can already benefit from that. Like working with user, bringing that part in or automatically applying that and then telling that downstream technology to do something with it. When you wake up and go to work, do you feel like you're going to work at Titus or Help Systems? It's, it's a good question. I look at the journey from understanding data to then security. I've always been data security focused. So whether, and, and I understand the, the digital rights management, you know, Microsoft has got some rights management software they've had from way back and I've been there since the very beginning. And I, we helped create their own training software to understand that. And I explain that only because from when I start, I think about how do we protect people's data? And uh, so we started that journey with Titus and then we started venturing into that whole DRM technology, whether we cooperate, partner or build that process. And then it came to realization, listen, I can't solve this journey on our own. We need to work with someone else. This is why we went through the process of trying to be part of a bigger solution set. So when I wake up in the morning, I start, okay, it's still about data, but now it's part of the bigger puzzle. And my role is, is as a uh, product strategist within the data security portfolio. So how does all this stuff come together? So I've transitioned over to being part of a bigger solution because I think there's more value in that and then understanding how these things come together. Now, when I started off this journey, it was always, I was hoping to get the attention of these other vendors like, hey, we've got this tags, you got the stuff you can use. We want to work with your technology. It makes a lot of sense. And we played with McAfee's and Semantics and all these other big players and we've worked really well together. But you don't have a lot of influence on to what their you know, roadmap may look like. Now we can actually build something very exciting. Now we've got a reign of these different products. We can come together and build something better than the old you know, one plus one equals three adage. Um, so that's what I kind of switched over. Still very close to you know, people that we came through this journey from a Titus perspective, but building something bigger and better is, is, is important for me. When Help Systems started buying these other products and bringing these teams together, did they make sure that these other companies had similar culture so it was a smooth transition? Yeah, they're very much uh, people-oriented. So one of the things they look at is who's there. They've got a really good layer as, as far as you know, working from a strategy perspective. How do these things roughly fit together without solving the entire problem? Because we want the people that are coming part of the organization to help get to the finishing line, right? Because each of these products have a journey. They've had roadmaps. They have certain reasons they ended up where they are. And they need to be part of that discussion on how to move forward. Otherwise, you're blocked. Otherwise, you're just told you're buying technology for the sake of buying technology. That's not always the best thing. So, so yes. What's what? Tell me about the culture. Like on your at least, I know help systems. I mean, I'm I looked at the notes. You guys have like, you know, 700, 800 employees. I don't know if that's the official number that you produce, but that's what I think we got from LinkedIn. That's a lot of people, right? Yeah. And so you can't have an, a personal relationship with all of them. But how would you describe like the culture within your teams or the people that you interact with? Like what's the top, you know, what's the single biggest culture item that you guys discuss around the office? I'm super surprised and happy about the fact that they're very people oriented. For them, it's very important to recognize, celebrate wins, and uh, they'll have full company meetings. Um, and it's over 1,200 people now. So the numbers, you know, 750 were before some of these acquisitions. So they're a little over 12. 50 or something like that, give or take 10, 20, 50, whatever the number is. But they take the time to recognize and CEO uh, will actually call in through an acquisition, you know, make sure we point, like go call each of the employees. Normally they'd all come together, walk the room, spend 10 minutes talking to people. But now 
acquisitions through this time is a little bit different. So they're doing stuff through uh, Teams meeting or Zoom meetings or whatever, just to make sure their um, their voices are heard. But they're but they like to reach out to to talk to each of the employees as well. Something that's very important for them, um, which was surprising uh, for some of the other strategics we're looking at. Dif- definitely different vibes, and um, which is why we really really like these uh, this organization. How long do you think it'll be before like you would use the word like we instead of they? You think it's like a couple of years or like how I'm curious about that. I think it takes time. Right. So, and you know, I had a couple of people call that out as well. They say, Hey staff, you don't always use we, and it's, we're trying to do this we culture. Um, and you should start using we more often. And it's, it just, I think what's missing is because we're so separate, I'm in an environment that's no different than what I would have been pre-acquisition. And we haven't had that move of sitting into something that says help systems, right? So I think there's some visual clues that are kind of throwing me off and just not making my pivot. Plus it's 15 years worth of you know, working every day, pushing Titus piece. And then, yes, I, I totally see what we need to be doing from a help systems perspective. I think there's a lot more value. And for me to say we, um, and I hadn't been checking on my words up to this point, but it's like, it, it's something that's been pointed out. I, I think it just takes time to work through. And I think, working with the rest of the teams to be part of, um, as we're talking to the other, you know, DRM technology or DLP technologies there at help systems, as we start building these really tight couplings of the products, then that becomes easier for me to start thinking, okay, we as a product have something that we can offer to customers. As I've been focused right now on, on taking what we've built before and making it part of the family. So I still see us as this kind of transition process to get the teams in which is probably what's holding me back a little bit. Um, but, and the visual clues, just because nothing's really changed around me. Yeah. Because we're all work from home now. Right. And <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised how the teams have, have transitioned through that. We'd had some people who had started off by saying, Oh, I can't wait to get back in the office. Right. So you're two months in three months in, like no one knew how long this was going to go. And it's like, Oh, we got to get back. We got to sit by the water cooler. And we just had a survey and it appears about like about three quarters of people are happy working from home now. Like I can get so much done. I can, I don't have to commute. I don't have to worry about that. I can, I can roll out of bed and you're assuming that everything I'm not my PJs right now. I've got a shirt on, but I hope you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting stuff done and I can meet customers from all corners of the world, just time permitting as far as the daytime, but I can have 20 different meetings across North America without jumping in a plane right now. And have a meaningful conversation in an hour with with a customer and then switch over and right away I'm talking to someone else and giving some input and then collaborating with people from the UK or Australia. This is all happening real time. Now, not to say that not getting in front of the customer is not important because I'm looking forward to the day that I can actually get out there and talking to them because that's where you, you get the real gist of what's happening. The one-hour meetings are still fairly formal and chatting, but it's when you're having, you know, after you get out of the work scenario and have a chat with with people, I think you get to the real, what are people trying to solve? Like, tell me about your pain points, not just about what the board has told you, but like what is really happening and how can we help you move that process? And it just takes time. And, and so I look forward to the days that we can still do that. What do you think about, or have you gotten to see in, you know, the, the news type articles about the different 
communications that they're doing. Like they're building these phone booths where you could almost see a 3D <laughs> replica of the person. They've got all these different technologies to try to make the the bandwidth and the conversation and the interaction higher. Have you seen any of these? I've seen a few things and even the like the, the headsets, right? So you're going to go through and do the VR and kind of like get into a virtual room where we're now virtual images of each other, talking to each other. Haven't really... I don't see um, that progressing enough to make that change yet. But the one thing we do need to figure out is how do we collaborate in a way that's meaningful and still be remote? Like we're an international organization. No matter if we open our offices again tomorrow, we still have people who are working over in the UK and Australia, different parts of the world, and they need to be part of as if they're sitting here together and collaborating. And as you know, as inventors, as kind of working through problem set as in teams of engineers, there is so much value in sitting there in front of a whiteboard and just taking little sticky notes and going through scrums and trying to figure out like all the different ideas and still looking for that technology allows us to do that, to be, make us feel closer and actually being part of that process, that creative creativity process. Um, I think we need to, I don't know if technology can help there, but or it's going to be a mixture. I think we'll have like core groups in certain organizations, like in a certain location, and then maybe a few people on the outside joining. Maybe those TV, separate TV for each person to make it feel like they're individual or be part of there. Maybe that'll happen, but uh, I'm not seeing too much of it yet. I don't think it'll catch on with the the VR goggles. I just don't like them. Yeah. That's how <laughs> I go off of stuff. I go, I'll go to a trade show or a convention, you know, and put on the next gen, whatever. And it's like the field of view is small. It doesn't really seem that useful. It's not as impressive as I thought. But then the other day I saw that they're using these, um, lasers to create these legitimate holograms like you can see them from 360 so they they take a they take one laser and they trap like a piece of dust in the air like a small piece of dust and they can like control its positioning with a beam and then they take another laser and actually like illuminate it and they've they made these like little um you know, like lightsabers and stuff that you can it's like legitimate <laughs> lightsaber you don't need any sort of there's no screen there's no goggles there's nothing because they're it's actually there you know and wow. i was blown away by it they're only doing it on really 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 small scales right now these little these little holographic displays but uh it's not it's, it's even hard because marketing teams over the course of the past two decades they've butchered every word so there's no good word if i say holographic <laughs> display everyone thinks like whatever the holograph like you know with the little screen that they have or like a reflection in, in a piece of glass or something there's nothing there's yeah. just the laser illuminating the particles in front of you it's fantastic that reminds me of the star wars like the little creatures yes. playing video games type things hey that'd be that's interesting i have not i haven't been to a trade show in quite some time joel i know i know <laughs> so it's having to go see that walk the floor and see what's out there but that sounds kind of interesting how do you get the sticky notes on the wall? That's what I need to figure out. This is step one. This is this is the drop down, right? This is the visionary. Like, let's just make it so we can have some element, and then uh, I think we're just along. I know we're just. Uh, I think the underlying technologies need to develop better. I don't think it's going to be with headsets because they're so uncomfortable to wear. So one thing, Joel, I'll say that this world has allowed us to. I think reach out to talent that doesn't have to be in your city either, right? So one of the good things that's happened over the last year, where there's always a hesitancy, oh, you can't be local, I'm looking for a local person to kind of fit the team, that's gone away. So now I can get an expert that's sitting in Singapore to be part of the team and kind of working through and ideating if they can kind of really push the boundaries. 
I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, that's kind of opened up a horizon as as to where do we look for talent and kind of make them part of the team and kind of grow the team. So I think that's very interesting. There's one thing we're doing in late June. We're having a little data security conference. I thought I'd at least talk about that. So we've got you know four or five days, June 21st, 25th. We're going to get a bunch of customers, prospects, partners together to kind of talk about data security in general. You know, as as part of the like data security has been part of my upbringing and it's you know part of my DNA. And as we're going into help systems, you know, we at Help Systems is really trying to drive that messaging around data security uh, being important, and they are, are a serious player in that space based on the acquisitions and stuff, and the and the type type of people they're bringing into the portfolio. So there's co- virtual conference. I'm not sure they're going to have the laser kind of VR uh, <laughs> type uh, capabilities at this point, but at least have a conversation around, you know, what is Help Systems doing for them uh, to help them kind of round off their data security strategies, whether just a small piece of what we're doing or or, or the bigger suite as well. So that's that's coming at the end of the month. I thought I'd at least mention that. Yeah, man, let's plug it. That's what we're here to do. All right. So we'll put links in the show notes too. So what's the type like what's the topic of it and what are the dates again? So it's June 21st to 25th, 2021. So it will be a virtual conference and it's data security week, basically, just from help systems. Excellent. So people can go register for that. We'll put the links in the show notes. Then come check it out. You got it. Any uh, like what? What are the top like speakers or what are the top topics? Well, we're looking from a a, a um, pragmatic approach to getting to data security, right? So people who have not started down this path, or their customers have helped systems that have gone into automation and try to you know other pieces of the solution that may exist within their 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 environment. So how do I start the journey of help? identifying or protecting information of DLP. We've got a bunch of tools, but if I didn't use those tools before, I don't know where to start. So it'll be sessions just talking about that or how does it work with regulations coming down, whether it's CCPA out of the North America or California Consumer Protection uh, Act or GDPR if you're international and got some Europeans. How do I start that journey and, and help protecting that information and then just the, through its life cycle? So all kinds of Great sessions just to get educated on how help systems can work, but we also tie into maybe stuff they already exist. We just help them make it better. Excellent. What other call? Do we have any other call to actions for this? Like, if people want to learn more about, you know, your company and possibly they could use the product that you have, how would they do that? Uh, so we have a great website for people to go to helpsystems.com and then you know look at the different portfolio products that we have from a data security perspective. There's lots of great, you get into trials, take a look at some of the software, you know, happy to reach out and have conversations with people on, you know, what their needs are. I I spend my day, you know, talking to the engineering team, trying to figure out what our way forward is from a technology, but that's, you know, it has to be married with talking to customers and prospects and understanding what's in their head, what's real and what's, what are the bad assumptions I've made about what we're building, right? Because the faster I can get to solving and understanding what I've, bad assumptions I've made, the faster we get to providing value to the customer. I like your style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I got some leadership questions as we wrap up. We have a few more minutes left. Is that okay? Sure. All right, Joel. So, so just curious, throughout the process, you said 15 years of growing this company, what were the different times that you know you bought leadership training or did you do it or did learning and development do it? How did that happen for you and your team? That's a really good question. Um, so as you're evolving a company from small, like we start off with a handful of people, you're four or five people. 
starting company, you don't have time for some of this training piece. You just get down, get dirty, roll up the sleeves and get some get a solution that people can start with and understand. Once we start getting into 25, 50 people, it's like you start getting a threshold. I need to get processes. So I start pulling in external people, whether it's a part-time CFO, make sure the finance is there, start building out the sales team. If you don't have a good sales team out there, you're not getting new customers. You're not like understanding where they are, what markets you need to get into. So we start to have to hire that talent in, and then you can still control the culture at that point. 50 people is not bad. When you get to 100, now you have to start setting cultures. And our training has been mostly focused in two areas. One is around, let's say, uh, from a sales perspective, what are methodologies to help them with messaging, marketing, kind of building out that, that, that piece of it. Um, and then there is some culture training to help people better themselves and kind of moving them uh, in their own culture. Let's like call the blue thinking as well. So strategies of understanding what challenges are. Am I thinking these have the color coded? Am I thinking green, angry, competitive, or am, I, or am I trying to solve something and I'm open-minded and looking for a challenge to myself? So just trying to get through that kind of trading to, to really help cement um, your culture as you grow up. And then the one thing that we did as as founders going through it is understanding when to pull back because you know we're really good at being foundational to get started, putting ideas in people's head. I don't write code anymore, right? I, you know, I may have looked at code before I understand the object models, but need to be able to step back and bring the right people to kind of bring it to the next layer because uh, they'll help you grow that company and you can still keep the ideation going. And I think that's really critical. Uh, understanding when to pivot on some of those things and then still keep the right creativity in line so it doesn't change and deviate too much. But that would be something I think would be important for your listeners as well to kind of walk through that. And I assume others have gone through the same kind of learning experiences. Yeah, that's why I was curious because typically we'll like share some leadership insights or something like that. But I was curious to better understand like exactly how these companies grow. And it's, you know, not all the time that somebody's been there since day one, right, to get to talk with them. So when I do have the opportunity to talk to somebody like you, I am curious how it evolved. Now, when so you hit 100 people, and that's when culture training becomes important, right? And you have time for it, because you can't, you know, spend time with everybody, they can't rub the culture off of you by being in the same room with you, because you just can't be in the room with 100 people at the same time. But uh, who who led that initiative? Was it was leadership training originally, like purchased by like the CEO or was it something where they brought in like a leadership consultant who eventually came on full-time similar to like a CFO, how that would be fractional, but then come on full-time as the company grew. How did that roll out? So the, the rollout would have started with our executive team, which have been the CEO, uh, CTO, um, which is my role um, and Charlie from a marketing perspective and just understanding that things just didn't work as smoothly as, as they did. And, and, understood there's an opportunity here and that we need to grow the organization. And we just didn't have the skill set at that point in time to kind of leap it to that organization. These, these are, you know, first time we've created an organization, created a company. So we actually reached out to training organizations. We had started hiring some more senior salespeople and they knew of other methodologies. So it's word of mouth, figured out, doing a little bit of research, get some motivational speakers to come in. We'd have, you know, and hire the CFO piece and kind of work, work through that and kind of work through senior people. One thing that was really critical for us is to make sure that we kept um, these AGMs, annual general meetings, where that's fun. You'd be at someone's house the first couple of years, and then we started renting places. And then we just made them really cool and exciting. And it was a show. We spent more time on 
doing internal marketing to ourselves to make sure that we are all having a good time because the return on that is just it's just incredible, right? So if you can get everybody motivated on together on one train of thought, and we'd have the management team, the executive team doing skits and dances and show tune stuff up on the stage in front of people and having a good time, having a good laugh, or at least they look like they're laughing and having fun. And maybe there's laughing at us, but, <laughs> a little but bit everybody still talked about a little bit of both, but no, they all had a lot of fun and we made, made sure people's families were included. Like these, these extra times outside of workplace, like we'd have these special events, we give back to community. So, and then all these internal initiatives, make sure we help, you know, grow those initiatives. So that people thought a certain cause was important. Like we put that front and center. It's like, yeah, that's a great cause. Let's help out. How can we help up with this company and kind of grow that? And that actually worked, that culture actually flowed really well into health systems because within health systems, their initiatives into the community is very, very strong. It's very important for them as well. Um, and, and they don't just say that, they actually get into doing some activities and habitat for humanity, something that's very near and dear to the, you know, what I believe in as well, giving people homes as an opportunity to kind of grow um, is, is, is something that they have uh, as part of their own culture as well. So has the training... Is that like a, did that roll up into help systems now that you're acquired? Are they handling that? Yeah. So all, yeah. So all that corporate stuff now happens at help systems. So, 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 and I understand that, right? So at help systems, use the term, we, we have to figure out what that culture is so we can cement it. So everyone's, you know, talking the same way. And the fact they put customers first, right? I don't care what your strategy is and going through, but as long as it solves a customer problem and, w- and whatever we do, we put customer first, that has to be rolled into a health systems wide initiative. You can't stay in your own little business unit and hope that you can keep your culture within one little area. It needs to flow across. Otherwise, it, you, it's longer before we start using the word we as opposed to they. What's the most impactful leadership lesson that you've learned in your career? most impactful leadership skill, I don't have to solve everything, right? So I think it's to give everyone an opportunity to have a voice and you don't have to overpower them. Rank don't, doesn't need to be the most important thing that's happening in your meeting or conversations. It's like we be like a junior programmer comes in, we have a co-op student comes in, I'll sit down with them and Hey, what's going on? What, what turns you on? We're like, what's, what the type of things you'd like to work on? I don't want you here photocopying stuff for your co-op job because I've been through that process and it sucks. So I want you to be, um, start on an interesting career. So I think hierarchies keeping as flat as possible. Now, if you have to have, have to have title just because it's easier to talk to an enterprise customer than whatever. So just put whatever role you need to be. But as you're working with people, that, 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 check that in at the door and kind of walk in and make it real. I think that's probably the best impactful thing, I think, from a leadership skill um, that's worked for me and I think is very important. I love it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.